Mike's Video Game Podcast. I miss you, Mike. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike's Video Game Podcast. I'm Mike Geig. And I'm Michael Wu. And this is lucky episode number seven. Seven. Very magical number seven. We've, we've held the course. <laughs> this will be our last one ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, so lucky number seven. That's awesome. That means I can officially like promote the podcast because most people, most sites require you to have seven episodes before you can do anything. So, yay. All right. Um, so, hello. Hi. It's been a long time. <laughs> it Welcome is. back to town. Three weeks? We missed it's, our two weeks. It's got to at least to be... It yeah. has to be, at least be three weeks since our I, last cast. I didn't look when I posted the last one, but yes. So a lot of traveling, a lot of weirdness, and so we didn't get to record until today. So uh, a little late, but, you know, whatever. In a new area today, we are at Mike's house, which helps because we're both named Mike. Uh, <laughs> we're at Mike's house, so hopefully the echo in the room isn't isn't a problem or any of the sounds, but we'll see how it goes either way. Is what it is. Yeah. If you hear uh, squeaks and noises, just hey man, it's rental uh, furniture. What are you gonna? This do? is raw. This is raw <laughs> audio here. This is this is as real as it gets. We want you to feel like you're here with us. We yeah. got chair squeaks. We got <laughs> trucks outside. Possibly a dog walking into the room at any moment. So, uh, I want you to feel like you're here with us. Um, yeah. So, real quick before we get started mm-hmm. with any of our, our topics and stuff, I had talked to you a little bit just a moment ago about this, but. Um, you are in the talks with company X, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, job stuff and whatever. And I figured it'd be cool if you could tell us a little bit about it. Uh, obviously no specifics, but, uh, just curious about your experiences, you know, with the market right now and the, the type of position you're seeking and some of the stuff that, that you have to do. Yeah. So a question you get asked a lot, especially since, you know, you and I both have taught in the past, mm-hmm. you get this question quite a bit from uh, students in particular is how does one um, even go about getting that position in, in uh, the games industry? It's not like we have a system of um, drawn out internships and certifications and licensing or anything like that. You know, it's not like architecture. It's mostly like secret passwords. Design. Yeah. It's, handshakes. It's handshakes. It's people that you know, <laughs> or is it, how much of it is your portfolio? Is your portfolio something that you print? Is it something that you do online? Uh, is there ever, um, something that I should be expected to do? So I thought, yeah, let's share this one particular experience. Um, mo- like most people, I'm not, uh, applying to just a single, uh, location. I'm trying to see what opportunities are out there uh, in general and then uh, narrow it down. In particular, though, there's one where I'm taking a test. So I can talk not about the specifics, but the general sure. process so that people can get an idea of uh, what it might be like. So, um, so as I mentioned, there's a test involved. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people realize, especially um, for artists and designers. There is generally a test that you'll take uh, on your own time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been um, hired into situations where I was actually brought on site and paid for my time. And I worked uh, alongside the team uh, sure, uh, yeah. during the workday. Uh, but that uh, isn't a practice that I've seen oh, in the last 15 years. But that I do know that that idea did exist in, at one point in time. But now it's mostly, here's a simple test. We'd like you to uh, take it, you know, you evenings, weekends, whatever you can do. And then they'll collect those results and they'll evaluate it and then they'll bring in the candidates uh, that they mm-hmm. uh, right. uh, really like. So in this particular particular case, uh, because of my background in both art production and as a lead and manager, so I'm taking a test that has that's multifaceted. Um, so I won't get into more detail than that, other than to say, even after uh, you know over a dozen years of experience in the industry, it is still something that comes up on occasion. Would you mind taking a test? Sure, and so absolutely. people should not be put off by the idea of like, well, doesn't my portfolio speak for itself? It's like, well, if you're trying to get a specific role, producing a certain type of asset, um, sometimes that's what the test is designed to do, mm-hmm. or and, and this is a little bit more of the case is we rarely make games in a vacuum or alone anymore. Right. I need to really see, can you do all the things that you're claiming that you can in your portfolio in a timely manner at the quality standard that we expect? Right. And, you know, really the, the portfolio, the resume, that just gets you an interview. That doesn't mm-hmm. really get you a whole lot out. Right. It's also interesting in your case because you are doing this this role that's you know a production role but also a management role which is kind of an interesting hybrid because a lot of times there you have these clearly defined lines of hey you're your your management you're almost hr your producer your or you are content creator 
right? And so it's interesting that this role kind of spans that gap. Right, and, and I would actually say that is what you're going to see more and more opportunity, at least in um, the American uh, games development mm-hmm. scene. Right. Now, granted, there's this huge indie explosion that's going on that's really awesome and it's really exciting. Um, not many of them have been able to pivot their initial experiences as indies into um, long-lasting, sustainable businesses, unfortunately. It's a lot of one-hit wonders. Uh, yeah, one-hit wonders and, or lots of uh, passion projects or hobby projects. Sure. But the second you get to the place where like, we want to have a sustainable business that employs the necessary uh, number of people to make titles um, you know, on a 10 to 20-year time span, mm-hmm. um, you are looking at people who have a, a skill set that can help manage the processes. And it's important that I say processes. Lots of people think of a manager as the guy who, you know, with a clipboard and he's Mm -hmm. talking to people and they're trying to manipulate people into doing things. That's not really how, uh, maybe business in general, but definitely in games, you don't use managers to do that to people, at least not. You hope hope not. Businesses that survive don't do that. The manager is there to manage a series of processes Mm -hmm. um, and that uh, the leadership comes in and, and, describing the goals. Hey, this is what we're trying to achieve as a team. Right. This is what's in it for you. Are you motivated to do that? Hopefully, and that, as you said, the, the production people are the individual contributors. They'll say, I totally see what, what's cool about mm-hmm. that. Right. I could develop this skill. I could finally express um, my creativity in these ways. And uh, if it's successful, I will you know, enjoy the accolades and the financial rewards and all that sure. stuff. So people buy in uh, that way. But it's not about you know, coercing people or mm-hmm. scaring people into doing things. And I think maybe near the end of production, it might be a little, yeah, a little bit. bit of that just because, but <laughs> by then you should all feel like we're all in this, you know, together. Yeah. Right? The this, trench. Uh, I think there is a, um, maybe going back to EA spouse and things like that, where when you had a bunch of people starting in the industry in their early twenties, not knowing anything other than they love to make games growing up and saying, Oh, now this is becoming a business and not managing the processes and not motivating people really well. Mm-hmm. And so you end up, um, unfortunately, with this era, you know, maybe a 10-year span where to work in the games industry was considered like, you know, the death marches and the, and the, the abusive management practices. Well, so, there, were, there were court cases yeah, about yeah, as much. And, yeah. Yeah. But I, I really haven't seen as much of that um, in the last half of my career where clearly people are saying, we have to grow up. Yeah. Uh, we can't just let the publishers who don't understand necessarily the the real personal sacrifices it takes to make software to make these hard decisions for us. Because for too long, it was easy just to say, oh, I'm sorry, guys, the publishers are making us do this mm-hmm. and blame them, right? Well, right. Well, I mean, they're not sitting next to you. They don't know you. So if they can get the product tomorrow, why wouldn't they ask for it? Right. And a- another thing we're kind of seeing is this whole... I don't want to say death of, that's a bit extreme, but this whole divergence away from the rock star mentality, right? And I mean, we still have like those few people in video games where it's like the, like, oh my God, they're like the super impressive, important names and stuff. But really, I think now more than ever, people are starting to realize how much of a team effort this really is. And you don't really have those standouts like, like, oh my God, so-and-so, they single-handedly wrote this entire amazing franchise. Nah, not really. I mean, you know, you have these visionaries and stuff, and that still happens. But with the lack of the whole, I guess, rock star individual sort of deal, you realize, oh, there are these teams, and these teams work together, and maybe we do need some great methodologies for helping everyone work together and stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely think that's an element of it uh, that and and so I, I what I'm gathering is that your point is uh, we're seeing in Gaben's development and even in the way they staff up that there's, there's a thrust to saying, are you capable of helping us develop a strong team culture and processes for producing these games? Not are you a genius? Yeah. Are you a rock star? Because a, ge- a singular genius can be more disruptive to a team mm-hmm. than a team full of medium-level right. skill. I th- I remember there was a period of time when uh, game designers were trying to leverage themselves against this very, very powerful uh, publishing arm of the whole development cycle. And so they were asking, how come the publishers are able to uh, market themselves as a publisher, a lot more effectively than we as developers or as individual designers or project uh, leads. Uh, I remember like Jason, Jason Rubin from like, uh, founder of, uh, 
Naughty Dog. Okay. Do you remember? I don't remember that name in particular. Okay. But... Well, I mean, there was a period in time where uh, at least one in three or maybe even more games sold on a Sony platform came from his studio. Okay. And yet he wasn't even invited to the parties that they would throw for his games. Yeah, that's you not know, right. <laughs> you know, and so he was like, this is an odd thing. And, and maybe part of it is like, oh, I want to have attention or whatever. And I mean, we're human beings. But right? a little bit, you want to be acknowledged. But a work. little bit of it is like, you know, that is weird that the people who conceive of these worlds and characters and mechanics that we all really enjoy, um, aren't what's important to people. It's like, well, when we, once we come to love a thing, mm-hmm. we want to understand more about how it's made. Like, for example, we recently, uh, watched, um, uh, Fury Road uh, yeah. together. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what did we do afterwards? We talked about how did they make that, and we went and we watched videos of how the effect, practical effects, were executed. Right. Um, what was the backstory for the long development cycle? I mean, we, you know, sure. we, we just wanted to know. Mm-hmm. And I'm, gamers are the exact same way; they just want to really know how these things are made. But yet, the publishing uh, end of things kind of drops this curtain, and you don't know mm-hmm. the names right. of the people involved, like you would know the name of a director of a film. And well, it's very common now with buying a collector's edition. You get that bonus disc with yeah. all the behind-the-scenes right. making of content. And that's, right. that's pretty sweet. Yeah, you know? and now we get that. But it is not really about, well, here's this one person that we're going to interview, but let's take a look at what the designers are doing and what the uh, artists are doing. And then, yeah, what's the sound department doing? And mm-hmm. so we have to see how this is big ensemble effort. Um, because there isn't really a great formula for any particular game because we are a medium that has its roots in novelty at least sure. for now. Sure, absolutely. Right? So we're constantly reinventing what our medium is supposed to be. Now, granted, we get stuck in ruts, like shooters on consoles have now dominated for at least 10 years, and people yeah. are, are, you know, maybe they're looking for something new. Um, but there are things on the thing, uh, you know, on the horizon, like new virtual reality, yeah. augmented reality, all that. Mark my words. All right, and here's a little insider for everyone who listens. Next big thing. Zombies. It's gonna be zombies. I guarantee it. Uh, so just keep your eyes open. You know, zombies. That's that's the next big thing. I think we're gonna see a lot with that. What zombies and ninjas. <laughs> oh, you know, I just think the industry's prime for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're gonna have first-person shooter zombie ninja you know, games. I can totally see the pitch uh, yeah. at a development studio. It's like if we make the characters. Now listen to me. Now I know that we had ambitions for neural net crowd. Um, AI where mobs of people would act intelligently and uh, make rational choices. But what we're seeing is a slight delay in the production of those systems. We're estimating we're maybe 18 months uh, uh, behind schedule. So <laughs> what if we made the crowds, instead of humans, zombies, and they just made a mad dash for the player around every corner? That would save but all the, of it. But you don't even have to make <laughs> you don't even have to make them zombies. Just keep them as humans and make the player famous, <laughs> right? <laughs> or make the player a right. Black Friday sale. <laughs> then you're gonna get your right. your mobs <laughs> mad dashing. Oh, man, yeah, you should pitch that. <laughs> Uh, but I digress. <laughs> we were having a real honest, yeah. intelligent conversation. I had to ruin it with zombies. Well, anyways, I, I, <laughs> I want to wrap up a point before we had to make that uh, uh, break um, earlier in our conversation. Uh, that the point I was trying to make is that getting hired in the industry, it doesn't matter what your level of experience is. And granted, in my particular case, I've taken like a three-year hiatus. So mm-hmm. there's going to be a little bit more vetting that needs to go on sure. in my case. Um but uh, it is not just, here's my body of work. Uh, do you want to hire me? There's going to be a series of phone conversations to get a sense of your personality and your uh, problem-solving ability. And then they're going to want you to prove it mm-hmm. over an extended period of time and, and a more or less realistic example. And then you'll be brought in, you know, hopefully uh, in person to meet the team. And, and they just want to make sure you're yeah. not a jerk. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You, cultural you know? fit is is a hugely yeah. important, and that, that does come up uh, in every conversation mm-hmm. that I've ever had. Is like, is uh, um, about, um, and it's not necessarily a code word to say like we want to make sure you're the right age or anything like that. It's not. Yeah, it's right, not right. like that. It's um, generally speaking, um, if you're going to be in a senior position managing other people, mm-hmm. you can't rub those people the wrong. Uh, way. Right. You have to have a, a an ability to hear them out, uh, listen to their. Um, uh, 
concerns mm -hmm. and then help them formulate solutions or even bring the resources that you need uh, to them, which Absolutely. goes back to like, maybe they've heard the, the podcast and they were like, oh, this is the guy who talked me down during that StarCraft II match when I was so pissed <laughs> off. So maybe this is the guy we want to bring in uh, for the interview. Yeah, yeah. You don't even have to take a test, man. Just, <laughs> just people are like, wait, you successfully did what? Oh, man, right. you were hired. <laughs> the other point I want to make is that more and more in uh, the States, you're going to see the positions that are available be at that kind of senior level mm -hmm. where you're required to be able to manage processes um, and bring right. some degree of leadership to the role. Fewer and fewer production roles will be opened up um, as a matter of course uh, because indies always try to stay lean and small. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're passion projects and they sure. just one or two people. So going to work on the next 2D side-scroller um, awesomeness um, like I saw uh, recently when well, I wasn't there but I saw online uh, at, at PAX Prime those are done by very small teams and the chances mm -hmm. of a young designer or artist going to join that team is well, yeah. pretty slim indies are, are small and big companies are becoming global mm -hmm. you know yeah so the important thing is is uh, to start producing your own software but then also demonstrate not just your artistic skill, your design skill, or your programming skill, but your ability to develop the right process for getting that thing done in a team environment. Yeah. And then I think you'll see a lot more people interested in continuing their, their phone conversations with you to the point where they give you the test and then you go yeah. and interview. You know, and back along the lines where you're saying it's not like a personal upfront, like, why would I have to take a test? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we had, I think maybe our first or second podcast where we had talked just about the risks involved in this industry, how much money you put in. Mm -hmm for a gamble because most projects don't profit in the long run, mm -hmm. right? Companies just can't afford to just gamble on a person, right? Not in this industry. Right. They they need there's no like, oh we'll just absorb this hired. If it was bad, we'll shuffle them around until eventually they either succeed or get right. fail you know, failed. And I mean they you kinda hitting the ground running. You gotta be So when you're in a situation where you're creating a new uh, intellectual property or IP the studio that's doing the hiring has to be really, really confident that you're the type of person that if they brought you in would be able to help them in your area of specialty mm -hmm. to create that new kind of IP. You, you know, not just a great workhorse, not just someone who's competent, but someone with the uh, skill set necessary to uh, create something out of whole cloth. Well, so to speak. yeah. I mean, even beyond that, I mean, if you're creating a brand new IP, right? Um, the people who you're working with, people, you know, your band of brothers left and right in the trench, right? Those are the people that you're going to be in bed with for a very long time. Uh -huh. Because if you're of any non-intern level, really, on a new IP that becomes hugely successful, then they're going to kind of own a part of that, you know, either figuratively or literally uh -huh. in a lot of cases where they're going to own shares or percentages of profits or whatever. And they are literally going to be a part of your family for a very long time, even if you're not there, you know, for the whole run or whatever. But, yeah. uh, so, I mean, there's a lot to be said. It's like when you form a band, yeah. right. And then they create one super hit and then there's a falling out. Well, guess what? All four of them, five of them, I say four, cause that's mm -hmm. kind of the average United States band, but they all own a piece of that and they will forever. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. And like a band, you don't want to have too many voices at the same time trying to help invent this thing. So you want to limit how big your team is mm -hmm. just so that you can get traction. And like, even if it's the wrong direction and you have to change course, you'll at least know sooner with a small group than you will with, you know, dozens and dozens of voices all trying to say, no, no, not like, not this, that, this, that, this, that. Like large companies two years later are going, okay, I could see that was a problem. Maybe yeah. we shouldn't have done yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Turning the boat is really difficult at that point. Yeah. And um, so, but once you have a successful IP and then you'll start to see lots of hiring at a contract level and lots of, uh, you know, less experienced people being hired in mm -hmm. with less uh, stringent um, demands. But at that point, you aren't going to own a piece of the action. Right. You're being paid for a specific role to You're do pump out yeah, yeah pump out these assets or whatever that we need and more and more like i was alluding to before you can see those production roles um not based here in the states but based outside right where you have someone who in the states managing a process that says i know how to communicate overseas so whether it's in europe or it's in asia I have a way of reviewing art content, getting it in front of the appropriate leads here in the States. They review, they approve, and they send the notes back. Mm -hmm. Less and less like, hey, I'm a 
artist um, that just cranks out great vehicles and weapons here in sure. America. Um, so it's odd. Software is going the way of manufacturing did in the States back in the 90s. It's, it's yeah, a little I mean, bit frightening, but it's the reality. Well, I mean, now you're just manufacturing software, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, the whole idea of physical good versus digital is mm-hmm. kind of... Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I mean, your job certainly does, I mean, is evidence of that. You travel all over the world helping yeah. people use these tools so that they Absolutely. can do software mm-hmm. anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're seeing huge percentages of growth in areas where before there was just nothing, mm-hmm. right? And so, I mean, yeah, competition and saturation and um, also increased consumerism. So that kind of offsets mm-hmm. the previous two. and. Um, interesting stuff all around for sure. Yeah. What I'm now, some of this is frightening or disheartening, I think, for like if you want a job in the games industry here in mm-hmm. the States. But as a consumer of games, it's really exciting because we're going to finally, you know, I mean, we're already seeing some of it, but we're really going to see a lot of kinds of games or styles of content mm-hmm. that we aren't used to having. It's sort of like been living on meat and potatoes for a long, long time. And as great as it is, it'd be nice to get some additional spice in here. Like, you know, we were just watching a, a Nintendo video uh, earlier before we started the podcast. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, Japanese and American, sometimes British gaming has been all we've consumed mm-hmm. for the, in my uh, career or as my interest as a consumer of games. It's been those three cultural spots for a very long time. For a long time, and now we're going to hopefully see. Well, and that's why I mean, a lot of times, every time Scandinavia produces a title, it's like a hit. You know, Scandinavia (laughs) produces a lot of hits. You know, uh, um, Northern Europe, not England. You Mm -hmm. know, yeah. Like Um, look at Minecraft, right? That's the first example. Uh, England's had a few hits too. I'm so yeah. I mean, just these areas of the world where I didn't mean to say like not England, Mm -hmm. like they'll produce good games. I just mean like I couldn't think off the top of my head of a title, but, um, but yeah. I mean, so I think they do culturally create a splash, whether people even know that's where the studio is from. I mean, Witcher series, right? Mm -hmm. Apparently you were correct, Poland, Mm -hmm. um, which I I had no idea until you said that, but, but a lot of times like you're enjoying this game or any game and you go find out later that it's not one of your, it's not Japan or America. Mm -hmm. You go, Oh, maybe, maybe that's why there was this stuff that was different and fun and whatever, or maybe that's why it tanked, you know, mm-hmm. uh, two sides of that story. But uh, um, yeah, very interesting, you know, the globalization and stuff like that. Now, that actually does serve as a very decent segue mm-hmm. to our next topic, unless you wanted to continue no, on this no, one at all. Um, where So we did watch this video, um, and it was all about uh, Mario World 1, Level 1, which is probably the most talked about anything of all time as far as video game goes. I know I do lectures on it. I know I watch a lot of videos on it. I know other people write about it, and it's just this classic level. Um, and, you know, you, you obviously the same have, have mm-hmm. looked at this level, have played this level many, many times. Um, and so... What was interesting about this video, if you want to fill that in? Yeah, is that uh, it was uh, it's posted on Eurogamer.net. Okay. Um, and is it, that what's it, interesting about it? Well, no, I just want to make sure that people <laughs> yeah. can find it. Uh, if we don't post, I'll link it. We'll yeah. link it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, a marketing video, sure, but it's about um, Mario Maker. Super Mario Maker mm-hmm. just came out, mm-hmm. and so they have Miyamoto himself uh, and his. Uh, a fellow design director. Now, real quick, what's the premise of, of Mario Maker? I've seen ads for it. I've seen people talk about it, but I've not actually seen it. Okay. Um, imagine a game that is set up as a toolkit. Um, so not it, unlike... Um, like a sandbox? Yes, like a sandbox, but like a... Um, like a little big planet okay. kind of where where it's the content producers or I should say the gamers are the content producers so you have this toolkit uh not like a unlike Disney but this wasn't there a, an old Nintendo uh game or application out there where you got to like make midi music and things like that oh yeah and there was like uh the like the monster truck madness where you could design courses yeah so, so your bike lets you build your own yeah yeah so it's along those veins where you get it's a build your own um Mario S game using a number of different Mario uh, libraries. So okay. it's, it could be Super Mario Brothers styles. It could be um, so you could mix 
titles and and all that stuff bring characters yeah, you, you, you yeah. basically have the freedom to script things it's not really unlike having say unity or unreal but with it uh with a project pre-populated mm-hmm. with all the sounds all the sprites all the effects mm-hmm. and in fact even some basic scripts for you to hook up now you sure. don't have to actually look at those you know all that nitty-gritty stuff yeah. so it's like i imagine an even more simplified uh, version of uh of a middleware engine mm-hmm. um, where you get to create a whole bunch of crappy levels. So, uh, but then they're, you know, with the hope that out of the crowd, some gems come out and it's just sure. really fun. It's plays with the premise of like, you've always wondered what it'd be like to make your own Mario game. Now you can. Well, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, obviously we want to be talking about the video, but we'll get there. Uh-huh. But uh, there's a lot of good that can come out of this regardless. So I played a lot of, of Unreal Tournament. Like uh-huh. Unreal Tournament 2004 was like my jam for <laughs> I don't know how many years. That game was fantastic. And the best thing about it was like the modding and the custom levels. Uh-huh. Like I, I played the game probably a couple times, you know, but then it was all about the mod, the unique maps and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And what's really cool about that, besides the fact that you had these unique maps, like racing with the vehicles in the game that had the guns and or assaulting this way and there was those waypoints yeah. and whatever in, in this whole PvP environment, um, that was kind of before PvP was even a thing, yeah. like the, the term yeah. or whatever, um, was that the people who excelled, the people who rose to the top, as you were saying, they eventually got jobs. You know, they eventually, you know, they were able to use like, look, I made this map in Unreal Tournament and it's the number one map for this long. And mm-hmm. guess what? Who's who's hiring them? The people that are looking for level designers, right? They're like, wow, that's that's amazing. Come work for us because you obviously are really good at this. Right. That's actually interesting because um, I had uh, some Bungie and Valve uh, people uh, meet with uh our students at the Cleveland Institute of Art uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was virtual. It was over Skype. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah. I was there for the uh, Destiny launch. And uh, what uh, came out of that conversation was how important it is to engage the mod community and produce something mm-hmm. that everybody gets excited about, even and to actually really just finish it and get in front of that audience. Now, in that case, and in the case of your example from Unreal Tournament, uh, the game is being played currently or you know at least back in the day it was like actively being played mm-hmm. at a, a large audience and so content was still being produced uh for that particular game or for that genre um i see mario maker as hearkening back to an older style that isn't produced as much now granted yes indie games still make platformers and and, sure. and, and all that so i'm not sure how many people would get hired as a mario designer um out of using Mario Maker, well, but it would definitely yeah. let their appetite for like, with this tool, I feel my imagination is unlocked and I can go and, and realize my Maybe they and go then, make their own. Right. And know, then they can yeah. move on to um, gaming community. Maybe they'll move on to like a game on Steam that has mod tools available and, mm-hmm. and then share it with an audience there that um, people want to uh, pay sure. good money for. Do something yeah, with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, okay, so that, that was just sort of a, yeah. an interesting because I, I had heard of the game. I assumed it was something like that, mm-hmm. but but I didn't actually know because yeah. I hadn't seen it. So I, I think it's a clever use of the, the the Wii U platform, you know, because you have you know you have a dev machine, which is you know your little handheld. That's right. And yeah. then you have your dev kit, which is the actual what you see on the big screen. You know? Kind of the process yeah. uniquely suited to that very odd controller. <laughs> it's like maybe they had that in mind all along. Yeah. That was yeah. their goal. At least that's my perception of the game right now. I haven't. I don't have a Wii U, unfortunately, yeah, but so. I am always interested in what uh, Miyamoto has to say. Sure. You know, by the way, we also, in an earlier podcast, uh, uh, talked about the passing of uh, President Iwata, and now they have a, a new president, an interim. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if he's interim, but okay. he's been promoted from within. Um, um, but I think Miyamoto has been, his role has changed to that of a fellow at mm-hmm. Nintendo, meaning I think he has less day-to-day uh, managerial or directing sure. uh, responsibilities. He's probably more of an advisor now to this new president. And so who knows? Maybe in five to ten years, Nintendo will have brought in or developed a, a new president. Because the, yeah. the current acting president, is he's actually already at retirement age. At least in the uh, States, yeah, he's okay. considered retirement When they announced the new current president did they show like the white smoke uh, over Nintendo headquarters and that's how the world knew oh, yeah. a new Nintendo no, president yeah, been... no. and I apologize that his name just slips out of my mind and it's not in front of me yeah so gonna... and you know for anyone who doesn't know the job title of fellow 
that's the job ever, that's the job you want <laughs> that's, that's that's not one that people get but that's like the job right where you're just like hey you're high up you're well respected well paid and you just sort of kind of guide others and just sort of like meet with people but you don't have any real direct responsibilities that's that's the dream right there yeah. but uh, but anyway okay so this video um outlines Mario uh, 1-1, which does not make it unique in mm-hmm. any regard. But what's unique about it is, you know, the level designers themselves were like, hey, yeah. let's confirm these uh-huh. thought processes yeah. and, uh, you know, let you. Yeah. So uh, for me, what was um, the most interesting uh, elements that came out of it is one, that the power-up version of Mario was, in their minds, the default. The big Mario. Yeah, the big Mario. The, the mushroom-powered-up um, Mario is the guy they wanted to work with, mm-hmm. you know. But they also wanted people to feel like, hey, these new behaviors are a new and exciting thing in the world of Nintendo games. Mm-hmm. So how do we celebrate that? And so they, uh, to use a designer word, they juxtaposed that Mario against the little Mario. Right. That's So in that way, they created this sense of, like, awesome. Because originally the little Mario didn't exist. It was all just the big Mario. Yeah. It's like, well, the, like they don't want a useless little Mario to, to, whose, di- whose life is in danger at every single moment, mm-hmm. uh, who, whose uh, um, margin for error is zero. That, right. Right, right. Because right. That, that's kind of punishing. And in fact, that's Jumpman from Donkey Kong is essentially that version of Mario. You know, and, and until I watched that and, and heard, heard you talk about it right just now, um, I hadn't quite realized that before Mario, I mean, the idea of destructible environment was kind of non-existent, yeah. right? But yeah, but I mean, that that was kind of one of the awe-inspiring abilities of Big Mario is that you can destroy the environment to some extent, mm-hmm. and, and that had... Not only had that never quite been seen before, but players wouldn't necessarily even know that you could do that unless you kind of gave them this 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 little weak one that couldn't, and then right. when the big one could, you'd yeah. be like, "Oh wow, that's pretty awesome." Right. Yeah. So yeah, the whole idea that the big Mario was the default, but they were concerned that people wouldn't truly appreciate it and what that really stood mm-hmm. for wouldn't really punctuate it. So they make you start as like shriveled, punished Mario. Yeah, <laughs> and that for evil. me was interesting because. Uh, when I think back to the characters that I've been lucky to uh, work with, they I have either already existed as fleshed out entities, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was a Star Wars game where oh, everybody knows what Jedi can do from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Yes, they started as apprentices, but basically their arc is already figured yeah. out, their appearance is already figured out. And Master Chief, was this, he's a super soldier. Um, his uh, stats don't really change, mm-hmm. although... Once we got to Halo Reach, you know, we you could choose different particular abilities, but mm-hmm. kind of static is a character. Sure. We didn't think about what is Master Chief like at the once he's been powered up versus when he starts out. Master Chief's game. role was always defined by the, which weapon right. was currently in his right. hands, not right. about him in any way. Right. But here's he an, was max level. Up. Yeah, and here's an action game where you actually level up. You know, you, yeah, you know. But it, they thought about him in his ultimate form first, and then invented mm-hmm. the uh, the more basic version. So that, I thought that was really interesting. A kind of point. To Another interesting one is uh, you, oh, people, I guess, always want. I don't know if there was. I don't know if this was known knowledge or not, but it was certainly new to me. Is that why a mushroom? Why did you eat a mushroom to grow <laughs> right. big? And everyone was just like, "Man, they must have been high when uh-huh. uh, taking magic mushrooms and growing big." And it was interesting just to hear him say, like, which assumed it was a strange mushroom and it would be universal. Like, what is that? Mushrooms <laughs> are weird. Let's touch it and see what yeah. happens. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's where the mushroom came from. Yeah. It, it's funny, though, how certain things maybe don't translate as well. Like, I don't know how I learned that the mushroom is powerful or good. It's fantasy. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm used to Smurfs, I guess. And like, so the well, idea mushrooms mushroom, are poisonous, but they'll yeah, also yeah, possibly po- get you high. Uh, yeah. But you also eat them every day. Right, right. And, yeah. and, so they're just an interesting thing. Fungi guess, are weird yeah. because they're not plants nor yeah. animals. It's, yeah. As a kid, I really didn't question it. Yeah. Um, but it does, they do, maybe we shouldn't spoil the entire video, but they do point out about the fact that, yeah, most players they knew would not get initially whether or not this mushroom was good or bad and yeah. might freak out. Try uh, to avoid it. Yeah. Right. So, but they made it in such a way that you couldn't actually, 
easily avoid being hit by it, and then you would realize, oh, it does this magical transformation. It's a because cool it thing. would bounce off the wall, yeah. and at that point, you couldn't really jump over it because the bricks were right over ahead. Above you, yeah, and, and so, you couldn't run back either. Yeah. So, right. so this seemingly, I don't know, almost arbitrary but basic level design is actually very, very mm-hmm. typically Japanese, like the minimalist design mm-hmm. laid out perfectly to make you feel like you're in complete control of your decisions, but it's actually teaching you in a very specific way. Yeah, well, it's the whole concept of IPM, right? Introduction, practice, mastery, right? Mm -hmm. You have a moment at the very beginning where you can just run around. There's nothing on screen. It's just you. Mm -hmm. The enemy's not there yet, nothing. And that's your moment to say, okay, I can move. I can jump this other button. I don't know what it does, or maybe I've noticed that it makes me move faster. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, here comes this enemy. Uh, I don't really know that it's an enemy, but it's coming at me. I'm going to assume it's an enemy, right? So you mm-hmm. jump over it because you just learn jumping, right? And then, and then so you're introduced to jumping, and then you have to practice it by platforming, and then you have to master it by the pit jumps and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And uh, in, in Mario 1-1 is just this this great example of doing that. Uh, something not in this video, but, but as I've heard it said before, um, they sort of indicate to the player that you want to catch the mushroom, Right, even if you don't quite know what it is, mm-hmm. because it's the first object in the game that runs away from you. Right, mm-hmm. so the Goombas coming at you, coins just sort of flicker that are right. gone, mm-hmm. and you get like that feel like, okay, the coin was probably pretty good, but whatever. But the, this mushroom thing makes the sound and then runs from you, and mm-hmm. you're like, I need to get that. Uh-huh. Right, and so then you rush after it, or you don't, whatever. Right. But then you discover it makes you super powerful. Right, um, and it, it also conveniently keeps it on screen. Um, Longer because it's traveling in the same direction as you are, as opposed to like running off screen mm-hmm. behind you and you can't catch. Except up. for the the one up mushroom, which always goes the, the opposite, opposite direction of right. you yeah. to get off the screen as yeah. quickly as possible, which yeah. makes you think I really want that. <laughs> um, but that's at that point you've learned that mushrooms are good. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, exactly, mushrooms are are good and inherently valuable, and you want to get those as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people have done like calculations. Like you learn, oh, one coin. I need a hundred of those to give me a life. So mm-hmm. uh, a one-up mushroom is obviously one hundred times the value of mm-hmm. a coin, and and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. right? But uh, um, but but interesting things there. I also did not know um, that the the Goomba was not the the default enemy. It was actually created later specifically to address an issue mm-hmm. and that was one of difficulty right right yeah and yeah, so players learning the complex behaviors necessary to stomp a koopa and then you know knock the shell away but not get hit by the shell all that as it ricochets because yeah. right there there's that pipe right, right in the very right. beginning right and so i think it maybe it's alluded to in the video and maybe there's some like i said this before i don't want to basically yeah, spoil the video they can go watch it if they want um but if you're if you're details, concerned about spoilers Pause the podcast, watch yeah. the video, come on back. Yeah, uh, but they go into some detail about um, their development uh, practices, meaning they didn't necessarily choose to do level 1-1 or resolve 1-1. Right, All and that's very common. Yeah, yeah, initially. Um, yeah, that is common and uh, because you know that 100% of the players will engage level 1 to some degree. Yeah. If not completed. But you, especially with online games... I'm going to say 99.9. Because you know there's that one jerk who looks at the menu and goes, no, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but you, we have very clear data now, especially because of online games, of how the audience drops off over yeah. time. We call those and, funnels. Oh, I didn't know that that was... I didn't either, okay. but I've been learning a lot about analytics recently. Okay. And so, so we call those funnel points. Fun- okay, funnel yeah. points. Uh, you can see where there are difficulty spikes where people just stop playing altogether. But by the time you get to that last level, you're actually, you're almost talking like 10% in mm-hmm. some cases of people getting there. Even though 100% of the audience will say, oh yeah, I played and I finished it. It's like, uh, I'm looking at the data here. You didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you don't necessarily put uh, your best effort into the last level. Right. You put your absolute best effort in that first level because that's how you're going to get people to be really hooked, want to play the game further, and kind of resolve it. So mm-hmm. what uh, the style I've seen done most often is which level, generally in the middle of the game, represents all of our core experiences. All features. And we'll develop that first, and we'll give it a very long, drawn-out development period up until there's a maybe we want to announce a project you know and so you can fully flush it out mm-hmm. polish it because everything else I don't want to say is easy but kind of is easy because fall out the mechanics that. are all right. done you just copy paste sort right. of where they go but then you can spend a lot of time on making um, 
the twist and the final level like really pay out, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for the um, the audience, so that those who do get there feel like they got their just reward, and then also you can develop the first level. Uh, afterwards so that you can make sure that there aren't any mistakes mm-hmm. that we know exactly what features went into the game so this is what we need to train the player mm-hmm. um, to do uh, it would really suck to spend a lot of time training people to use a feature that ended up getting cut right now you said something there that i just want to highlight it even mm-hmm. though it's sort of tangential where you said that tw- you can work on the twist at the end mm-hmm. and uh this is just a word of warning for anyone who would be story writers or or, or designers have something like that at the end, right? Uh, even if you don't necessarily need to have a twist, right? Have have something dramatically meaningful at the end. I did a, a, a tangent again. I, I did a, a dinner mystery theater uh, the other uh, week with my wife. And basically all the signs pointed at this one person being guilty. And so everyone was like looking deep and trying to figure out who it really could be. And, and almost no one, only one team at this whole thing, mm-hmm. picked that person, the person that seemed uh-huh. the most guilty. And then at the end, it was like, oh, it was her. And everyone was just like, oh, God. <laughs> and, and the guy running, it was like, what? I mean, if all evidence points to one person, you know, the most realistic yeah. answer is that one person. And it's like, yeah, in real life, but I'm not playing this for real right. life. Yeah. I didn't just sign up to come to dinner and have people tell me how the world really is. <laughs> I didn't watch the news and eat yeah. a microwave dinner if I want to do that. So um, anyway, that was a tangent completely. Mm-hmm. But when you said work well, actually, on Actually, no, that's really interesting because I remember discussing this topic last semester with um, the junior class that I was uh, working with. Uh, there are a number of ways of doing this. And it and it's not like, well, one game's not a mystery. Well, it doesn't have to be a mystery. Well, so, it just has to be a story. Yeah, right, right. And, and for there's three things on a technical level that every good story has to have. That's credible and coherent, mm-hmm. right? Which this movie theater or this uh, mystery dinner mm-hmm. had and, and good games will have credible, coherent, and then dramatically meaningful. Mm-hmm. And that's the part where... You know, ending it the way you think it's going to end mm-hmm. completely is just stupid because then it's not dramatically meaningful. Literally anyone could have solved that mystery. Mm-hmm. It didn't require me. Mm-hmm. And so I had no point. It could or, have been anyone. Or it didn't require the time it took to tell the story because um, the meaning or the resolution was obvious from the setup. Yeah. I, if they just yeah. walked to me and said, we have this evidence who do you think did it? I just say that person. But no, they made me wait three hours. To <laughs> right. then, to you know, say it, that person. Yep, exactly. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. I told you that. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so yes, you know, um, I mean, it's super important. Now in games, we call, would, would you call it a coherent um, self-consistency or self-consistent is um, some term that I've used? I, I, I kind of stole those, mm-hmm. those three, um, uh, three points, credible, coherent, mm-hmm. dramatically meaningful, uh, more from film and story mm-hmm. writing, but it was in a book about Games mm-hmm. specifically because I mean really games are just interactable books right. or movies in a way um, and so I, I feel it applies but you know everyone's gonna mix terminology a little bit but I think whatever word you choose for, I, I like I said I use IPM for introduction practice mastery mm-hmm. and I've heard someone else use another three letter mm-hmm. acronym it means the same thing just mm-hmm. maybe a different name okay. um, but the self self containment. Mm-hmm. Um, um, instead of coherency, you could say cohesion or whatever, you know, but yeah. I want to put you on the spot. Can you think of an example in Mario, maybe Mario 1 1, where they demonstrate something that this is a, an example of something that's consistent and this represents something that would be dramatically interesting or is a twist in a Mario game? Yeah, so, so okay, so first off on consistency, right? Um, Obviously, are you talking about as far as building up and learning skills, or are you talking about... It could be like, uh, how does 1-1 one, one teach you, uh, this is how this world works, and it all, and, and then no matter how far we pull the Mario mm-hmm. uh, game, that rule is upheld. They don't just arbitrarily change it without an explanation that we can comprehend. Sure. It demonstrates that consistency. All right, so, well, first off, we, we pause for a second because it appears someone is mowing <laughs> outside. <laughs> it's still uh, Indian summer. Yeah, so we'll, uh, uh, if there's some noise in the podcast due to the mowing, there's not a whole lot we're going to do about that. Um, so, yeah, enjoy. Like I said, you're here with us. Let the, <laughs> let the ambience 
ambiance just cascade over you, uh, mowing and, and eating crab-flavored potato chips, apparently, because <laughs> uh, apparently that's what Mike eats. Um, but, uh, hey, they're nuts. They're good. Uh, but I have to remember the question for a second. Okay, so... Um, self-consistency. Self-consistency. So, I mean, I, the, obviously the classic example, um, and this isn't my idea because this is the classic example, um, is uh, you're introduced to jumping, right, mm-hmm. um, at a very young age, uh, and then you do some jumps that are, are meaningless, and then... And and then you build on that. You you learn that you have to do the the sprint jump. And the way you learn that is because you have that pit that has a floor. So if you fail, you just land. You're safe. You can try it again. Um, and then then you start doing it with the actual pit in it. Mm-hmm. So if you fail, you died. You, so you it escalates while still maintaining the same um, uh, mechanics. Beyond that, probably the most consistent and s- almost subconscious thing about Mario that any speed runner, any good player, I say good, you know, as a loose term, but any, any really uh, good player of Mario just knows without necessarily knowing is the actual, is exactly how high Mario jumps. Right, which is a super important piece of information, mm-hmm. uh, so that you can gauge your jumps. You also know approximately how long you have to hold the jump button to get your full mm-hmm. jump, and things like that. And what's really neat about the very first level of Mario, that isn't necessarily in all of the rest of it, is the first few times where you max height on jumping. Right, um, right. So the, the, the that first pit mm-hmm. where you fall mm-hmm. in if you don't know how to mm-hmm. sprint jump. Right, the first few times where you have to do max where you barely can jump high enough to do it, they're actually blocks, so you can count. And you get a mm-hmm. visual, like, oh, I jump. I don't remember what the number. I think it's five blocks. Mm-hmm. But uh, I jump exactly five blocks high, right? And so anywhere else where there's a grid-based system, you can just subconsciously be like, can I make that jump or can I mm-hmm. not? It's not like I might be able to make that jump. If you play Mario long enough, you know exactly which jumps you can uh, make. And in that that mechanic, that, that knowledge um, kind of traverses. Now... To sort of turn on its side, those three things, credible, coherent, dramatically meaningful, those rely, those basically are about the story and not necessarily mm-hmm. about um, mechanics, but you could sort of apply those where, where your actions have to have meaning, uh, where you pull the trigger, the gun's going to fire, and if it mm-hmm. doesn't, then that is not credible mm-hmm. kind of deal, you know? Right. Um, Games are an interesting medium because they are, they are revealed to us through the mechanics of, mm-hmm. of the gameplay. Um, so I, I think they they actually still do apply, in my opinion, to the the mechanics too. And so to, it may seem trivial. Well, of course, yeah, max height in Mario. It's, it should always remain the same. Why would they ever thwart it? You'd be surprised how many times in maybe uh, a more uh, I don't want to say sophisticated, but a more complex engine, engine or, like, environments, you know, right? Yeah. Environments, more complex physics. Yeah, yeah. Um, where you might run into. An issue where an artist or designer would like to say, well, to get the feel and the visual that I want, I want to build it this way, but I know that I can't let the player get there. So I'm going to insert a way to make it not possible for them to go through. Mm -hmm. And that breaks the max jump height rule or the self-consistent immersion in some way. The player's going to know they're getting cheated and they want to know why. Classic example is oh I just I hate to keep using Halo as an example but it's something that I'm really mm-hmm. familiar with. There are environments where that um, Master Chief is actually able under normal circumstances to jump over a particular building or cliff mm-hmm. and would be able to jump out of the environment, but. What we do is we put an invisible wall of collision yeah. to block him back in. And that's pretty standard. That's boundaries. that's standard, but that would you know um, that ain't gonna happen in a Mario game, in well at least in Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. That is a demonstration of breaking that that rule. Um, so it becomes in a world where you want I don't want every single cliff to look exactly the same. And guess what? They're exactly at the same minimum height that to block the player from mm-hmm. moving because that starts to look. Well, you know, for lack of a better term, gamey yeah. or, or mechanical, and I'm trying to create an organic environment. Yeah. We try to um, be as consistent as possible, but we still end up breaking the rules all the time. So even if the rule sounds like it'd be really easy to follow, it is not actually easy to follow in a lot of types of games. Well, it's easy to follow, but it still snaps your, your mm-hmm. consciousness out mm-hmm. of the immersion yeah. or yeah. flow of the game. Yeah. The worst example is like doors that 
look like doors that you could open, but you can't ever open them. They're just there to make the world look like it's a real world. Right, like, right, right. What the hell are yeah. you doing to me? Yeah, yeah. There has to be some... Doors are supposed thing. to mean a certain thing, and they're supposed to consistently mean them. Or, mm-hmm. you know, chests are supposed to mean a certain thing. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I mean, there's the opposite of that. You couldn't have just a hallway with only a single door, because that would look kind of silly as well. Right. But, but, uh, but, but absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, in all the, I call that... Uh, um, the lazy dungeon master. That's that's my own term <laughs> yeah. for that. When you see that in games or whatever, um, I call it the lazy dungeon master, and, and that's kind of an allusion to obviously Dungeons and Dragons for anyone who, who maybe doesn't play or, or whatever. Um, but you might have a situation where um, you have the the players or the heroes or whatever, um, and they've they've come into this room, and there's the evil bad guy, and the evil bad guy has this monologue, and so the players are like, you know, I'm not actually interested in listening to this monologue, so I'm just going to shoot at him, or I'm just going to attack him, or whatever, but there's just some magical barrier all of a sudden that's like, oh no, you have to let them finish, right? Mm-hmm. Or the the bad guy casts this spell, and when the players are like, well, why can't I cast that spell? Oh, because it's a special bad guy only mm-hmm. magic, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's Instead of letting, instead of outsmart, I don't want to say outsmart, but you know what I mean. This, right. Instead of creating these these clever and unique ways to, within the rules of the world, defeat or trick or subvert the players, you create extra world powers that are unique to only right. you, right. so that it's easier for you to beat the players. Yeah. And that's you know lazy dungeon master. Right, and that's not consistent. Hey, mm-hmm. according to the way I've been playing the game up until this point. This should These are work. the rules of my universe. You're right. Yeah. And now you're telling me the rules don't apply. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, even in role-playing games, tabletop games, the the rules apply. You you want to create consistency. Absolutely. But to kind of bring back to the yeah. question you had asked me a bit ago, yeah. but also tie it into what we're saying right now, um, you, you had asked me about, you know, when we see this consistency like that. But another situation in Mario 1-1 where we see... The drama, right? The, the dramatically like, whoa, right? Um, is the star power up. Um, because the star power up not only flashes like crazy, makes you flash like crazy, changes the music, right? But also allows you to break the rules of the universe, uh-huh. right? Um, and this alludes to a very interesting point. Players like when the universe rules aren't necessarily consistent, and it's in their favor, mm-hmm. right? When the rules are not consistent in the opponent's favor, then this is bad. Right, right. This is not good. But when it's inconsistent in their favor, all of a sudden, all right, I can accept that. That's pretty good because I am the hero. Right. But the, that reversal of the rules mm-hmm. is in itself consistent. They can only be reversed with, with this power. item. Exactly. With power. Exactly. It isn't like – and then sometimes just because it's the end of the level and you're – meeting Bowser, you magically have the access to a star. Exactly. You have to learn, like, no, if I want to have that ability at the end of the level, I have to Yeah. Star. So it is, it is, you're right. So yeah. it is, it's fake universal rule breaking, yeah. right? Because it is tied it is, to an actual it rule. It is a twist. But the first time you encounter it, it consistent. the yes. first time you encounter it, you're like, what is yeah. happening, yeah. right? Oh, right. I'm a god now. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I forgot... How do you know? Do they intentionally put you in a position, position if you were to acquire the star that it's inevitable you touch an enemy and the enemy dies? Well, it's, so it's not inevitable, but if I'm, if memory serves me correctly, right after you get the star, you jump over, uh, this, this green pipe and then all of a sudden you're in an area where you have, uh, you have the Koopa Troopa coming at you on the ground and also one falling, cascading down from above uh-huh. on this two-tiered system. Uh-huh. So it's very difficult okay. to avoid. Not only that, but even if you weren't to avoid, what you would do with a Koopa Troopa is just jump on their shell, right? Uh-huh. You've seen that. Oh, right. But this right. time they don't turn into a shell. They just, just are destroyed. Right, right. And you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. No more shell for me to kick. They're just gone. Right. Right. And so, okay, maybe I'm pretty powerful right now. That, yeah, that's a very clever way of solving that problem. Even if you you either uh, attempt to avoid contact but fail and then make the discovery, mm-hmm. or you there is a way for you to safely attack this particular character because like if it was a mushroom guy you can't jump on top of him you can jump guy. on the mushroom the, the, oh, that's, that's right. the only way to defeat right, right, yeah right. Um, but the the but the mushroom guy would just disappear but the Koopa Troopa he, he would normally turn into a shell turn into shell but in this case he doesn't mm-hmm. so you have to it's critical that they use that the Koopa yeah. Troopa that. they also hedge the bet a little bit because they make you flash colors and they ramp up the music yeah. it's going to make you play recklessly right right, right? Yeah, yeah. right? you're going to be hectic you're like oh right. what's happening right. you know and so so just, they are just you layer a lot of stimulation here um, that's um, 
Yeah. If we're wrong, please somebody correct us. You know, send like a tweet or something. No, don't like correct that. me. I hate being corrected. No, I'm joking. <laughs> or confirm. Or confirm. Yeah, yeah. He's the, absolutely the, right in his observations. Oh, yeah, right. that would be awesome. But uh, so yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot that happens in Mario One Dash One. I mean, there's there's a lot to it, and uh, it's to this day kind of like the gold standard, right, mm-hmm. of, of of level design. Um, just just the subtle, nuanced ways of of everything that gets introduced. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, even the when, even when you find the star for the first time, it's in such a way that it's like a pyramid structure of blocks that are all segmented. So it's kind of actually difficult to get up there. Mm-hmm. But you seeing that makes yeah. you immediately say it's a it's challenging to get up there, mm-hmm. and there's something way at the top. I'm gonna go up there. Mm-hmm. There's something up there mm-hmm. that I want, yeah. right? And uh, and otherwise you. You know, if it was just a f- one block in a long flat uh-huh. stream, you know, we would never find anyone would ever care. Uh-huh. Uh, but because it was the top of the pyramid, uh-huh. a very difficult pyramid yeah. at the time, um, all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I'm gonna find that, <laughs> right? Um, and and so there's a lot of little things, a lot of ways that they guide the player. And obviously, your player can only go forward. Mm-hmm. So guiding the player, I mean, more, it's more towards towards the unique items in the yeah. world. Yeah. yeah. And you'd be surprised how many mechanics, when first proposed sound really awesome. And this is why game design and making games is really hard. Mm-hmm. They sound so awesome, but then you discover, oh, but I, but how do I maintain consistency? If you can't say that, if you can't say the mechanic in only one sentence, it's not a good mechanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, the less is more yeah. because the more caveats to any mechanic, the harder it is to right. integrate in yeah. these larger worlds. Right. right. That's yeah. right. Is yeah, so that's what's critical about your statement is that the reason why simple uh is best is because everything else that you're adding to your description is basically a caveat. Yeah, a limiter. A way of making it not consistent, making it more difficult to use and uh, harder to learn about and master and appreciate on the surface. So Yeah, I mean, just another example off the top of my head, right, is like, uh, I have this great idea, right? You're going to have this button and when you push it your enemies heads explode and and whatever and and, and there's like fireworks and whatever and you great and then you get to a level and the enemies don't have heads because they're not humanoid and what does it do now right like mm-hmm. i mean that's yeah. obviously just an off the top of my head example yeah. but that's one of where the descriptions are self-limiting but if the mechanic was like i push the button and the enemies are defeated then great i can play with that however i want um but uh but yeah i mean so simple mechanics and mario is like the the capstone gold standard of a simple mechanic applied many, many right. ways across many, many levels and super effective. Right. And just to bring full closure on this, but the fascinating part of the Eurogamer video is that to realize how much the designers knew that their so-called simple mechanics were brand new mm-hmm. to game players. The when idea they have a variable height jump, the idea of inertia to make it feel like a real character. Right. All Do it to add new, weight right? to the character. Yeah. Destructible environments, inertia, variable All height these jump. are brand new and so, uh, and had required spe- uh, special training. And for anyone who sits there and thinks, oh, they were just visionary and genius. I mean, they were, obviously, but, uh, but, but, but ge- geniuses and, and uh, messiahs of their time or whatever. Another great thing about the video is they say how much testing they did. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not like just they woke up one morning and was like, uh, I'm brilliant and here's this idea and, and I'm just going to scribble this on a napkin during lunch and it's amazing, right? Yeah. Work, effort, testing, yeah. feedback, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all to polish the yeah, process. Yeah, excellent point. And it's something that, again, um, designers and artists uh, trying to develop their careers initially miss they forget. over and over, and yeah. over again. It's the least understood or least interesting aspect of game production classes that we've been teaching None of them are interested in the, this is how user testing works. And, mm-hmm. and user testing is different from testing. Like there's testing to like get Find bugs, bugs and like that. all these yeah. other things. Focus group t- testing, focus, user yeah. group testing, yeah. Um, Make someone who doesn't yeah, normally and, uh, know anything about the how, gameplay. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like what makes uh, games great? Uh, well, look. Look at Destiny, mm-hmm. like the game that you enjoy playing right now. <laughs> the running joke is that Destiny 1.0 was, was, was actually beta. was actually the beta, and now the Taken King is so good. is the actual release. So good. So, uh, <laughs> but why? Because they had millions yeah. upon millions of testers funnel through it. They have a new feature in in the Taken King where they actually have daily or weekly missions 
daily, I don't remember, where you field test new weapons. <laughs> and that's the mission. <laughs> like, you yeah. are literally <laughs> testing these weapons for the game. Uh-huh. And that's what it's called, just the field tests. Uh-huh. And and you get rep and bonus items for doing yeah. it. So. No, that's just very clever of the design. <laughs> because it's, uh, it's embracing the fact that software moving forward is not this fixed product that exists in a specific it is really kind of how things are going right it's this you know there may never be a destiny 2 i have no idea Mm -hmm. right but it may just be destiny 3.0 destiny Mm -hmm. 4.0 does and still just the game and as it evolves Mm -hmm. this this living entity of software and not just destiny but really mmos league of legends yeah league of legends 2.0 yeah because they're really release yeah doesn't really need to be right i mean um, which links kind of to a, the, uh, the other article you mm-hmm. sent me about the next gaming console, mm-hmm. where physical medium, like the fact that you're going to have game releases, is kind of going away, sort mm-hmm. of speak. Because, I mean, certainly there are one-off titles and stuff like that, but if you really intend to have an IP, right, and you really intend uh, to make it a living entity, then physical releases, uh, physical media... Um, kind of has to go away because there's no reason now hey you updated your engine we need to press a new disc mm-hmm. now just you push the software mm-hmm. update right with all the new stuff mm-hmm. i mean the new engine code i mean all of that is 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 pushable via this this network infrastructure that we have called the internet right mm-hmm. and so yeah i mean these living living breathing entities kind of outlast physical media at this point and good we'll save ourselves a lot on oil refinement for plastic yeah um all right for those who, people who are like oh i don't like this idea i like the idea you're wrong game. well <laughs> not that they're wrong but i mean they they will certainly the potential for them to exist uh s- can be met uh not through the mainstream traditional triple a development mm-hmm. teams but these smaller indies but even there, you know... Indies don't even press disc. They're the yeah. first ones to go digital because it's a cost right. they can't accrue. Right. But here's... I, I know why a lot of people who are opposed to it do it or, or, or are opposed to it. If you live... And I've, I've been there. If you live in an area without good internet, uh-huh. you're kind of screwed, uh-huh. right? Like, if you can't afford internet... Um, well, maybe you shouldn't be buying games at that point. But I don't know. I don't know anything about your life. But uh, uh, maybe you should be. I don't know. But uh, but if if you can't afford internet, you don't have internet, you live in remote areas, even in the United States, mm-hmm. right? The remote areas. Um, you travel an hour south on 77 and you're not going to have good internet mm-hmm. anywhere. Um, well, then do you just not get to play games? And that's the big like statement about physical medium can't go away mm-hmm. because if I don't have internet, it means I cannot game. And yeah, that is a legitimate concern. And we'll have to look at, we the, just yeah. need the infrastructure of the internet to improve. Yeah. 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 You need the infra, uh, infrastructure to improve, but also there will you, I remember growing up, there was an argument like, why are you playing games pressed to a CD? Cartridges is so much better. You plug it in and it's on. There's no loading time. Yeah, with these CD games, geez, Louise, you're waiting forever to get the content loaded. Like this sucks. Yeah. Um, and now we don't like, like what? Like cartridges. Those are the how many cartridges based systems exist versus yeah. disc based systems well, now? Anytime anyone as a gifter, I think buys me a, a physical disc uh, of a game mm-hmm. for my birthday or Christmas, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, I just think for a second, like, oh, God, now this is one more thing I have to make sure to never damage. Mm-hmm. I mean, Destiny, I have Destiny on a disc, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. You mm-hmm. actually gave it to me. Um, and if that disc gets scratched, how ridiculous is it that right. I actually have to go buy another disc? Mm-hmm. Because that's the only proof that I own it. But there's nothing on that. Every bit of code on that disc has probably been replaced mm-hmm. at this point with mm-hmm. updates and stuff like that. Right. That disc is literally just a, a scratchable serial mm-hmm. number, mm-hmm. right? Like, I wish I could just extract whatever juice was on that <laughs> disc, put it on my account and throw the disc mm-hmm. away. Because if my son pulls the disc out um, and, and damages it in any way... Well, that right. doesn't damage my game in any way. Right. It just damages the way I can prove that I paid mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. And that seems really fragile and kind of dumb in this yeah. day and age. I would look at the market for people who would suffer at the loss of physical media versus the uh, potential mm-hmm. in the market for online-only high bandwidth, consistent bandwidth yeah. uh, gaming. And there I think you, that's when you realize, oh, geez, 
there's just no question. This is the reason why the industry is moving this way. It's the yeah. way forward. Now, granted, that does mean huh, some of us who enjoyed this older format either have to figure out a way of making it a viable business practice. Just like I used to, I mean, I loved arcades, even though I didn't get to go to them very frequently mm-hmm. as a kid, which is why they, they, they have such a hallowed place in my memory sure. and I have such nostalgia for them. It's like they were a very special treat. But try to find a decent arcade anywhere yeah. Uh, and it's really hard. Um, but, you know, that's just the reality, and I accept that. And yeah. I think, uh, you know, disc-based gaming I feel like very this latest away the generation, generation of consoles mm-hmm. was the five-minute warning. Yeah. The, this console, I mean, look at the controversy even with Microsoft mm-hmm. right before launch, mm-hmm. where everyone's like, oh, we're doing away with the disc drive, and mm-hmm. everyone's freaking. This generation, the Xbox One, the, the PlayStation 4, is saying, all right, guys, Start getting ready. Mm-hmm. We're getting rid of physical yeah. medium. Yeah. Now, the, here's your warning. Mm-hmm. Now, start making your preparations. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I think they've done everything they, they need to, to, or everything they can, right. uh, to make that okay. Yeah, and I definitely, it was not um, an idle thought. I remember, this is back in like 2008 or nine. Ages ago. Yeah, ages ago. <laughs> talking to an engineer, and he was saying like, Live streaming concept content is actually kind of nerve wracking Mm -hmm. since so many internet service providers are threatening to charge per bandwidth as opposed to unlimited Mm -hmm. monthly bandwidths. Mm -hmm. Uh, Luckily, my area uh, does not do that. And um, the day they do is the day I consider moving because Mm -hmm. I pull a lot of data. (laughs) But, uh, but that is like the potential killer of, of, of the, the future of, of all, this oh, online yeah, game. right. So maybe right? that is a, Because if like, I have to buy a game and then I need mm-hmm. to pay a monthly fee to my ISP to even play it, mm-hmm. then... So yeah. you're saying you're not opposed to paying for the fee to download the game initially, but if it's constantly... If it's streamed, oh, oh, if it doesn't right, live on right, my system, right, 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 then right. I, I want it to live on my system because it seems almost wasteful. Right. Redaction. Yeah. Magic yeah, redaction. Yeah, yeah, redacted Everything something. we just talked about got destroyed. Yeah, I spoke out of turn about uh, something that was not released. So Sorry, listeners. For that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, at that Audio point, redacted. I hate to end on a redaction, <laughs> but uh, I mean, obviously, we're saying the same things over and over, and we're also kind of almost out of time. So um, we'll just kind of, I guess, wrap up there, our, our lucky number seven episode here. Um, anything to add? No, other than I think we're running out of good ideas to talk about. So we need some, maybe some uh, listeners to chime in about like, this is something I really want to know. We say it every episode. No one does. Everyone's Mm -hmm. like, hey, it's great that you ask for feedback, but no one actually gives us (laughs) any. So yeah, and we have listeners. I know we do because I've seen the statistics. Statistics don't lie. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, uh, Anything on a, a personal note you want to add there, Mike? No, other than this has been a lot of fun and um, really glad that we've had an opportunity to kind of redacted. talk about topics that I get asked about from time to time in general. Uh, but hopefully this answers people's like, oh, I've, yes, I've always wondered how yeah. X happens or how this, how does a designer think about this mm-hmm. topic? If uh, there's something that we're missing, please just let us know. We're happy to talk about it. I like to say there's no secret handshake, but there's kind of a secret handshake. <laughs> as far as all that goes. Um, personal anecdote for me, uh, your dog did not go nuts. Slept the whole time, so that's yeah. good. Audio should have been fine. Um, Destiny of the Taken King is really good. Uh, so that's pretty much it. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been uh, uh, Mike's Video Game Podcast, Episode 7. I'm Mike Geig. And I'm Mike Wu. And uh, goodbye, everybody. Bye.